Morning. Morning. Uh, welcome to Renovation Church. Uh, happy you're here. I know a, a ton of you are here for week three of the three-week challenge. Uh, we're pumped that you're back. Keep coming. Keep just seeking God and just, I know he's going to do awesome things in your life. But I, I, have you ever prayed for something and it didn't happen? Like you prayed to get a new job and you didn't get it. Like you prayed they'd accept your offer on the house and they didn't accept it. You prayed for healing and it, it didn't happen. What are we supposed to do as believers when that happens? Like how can we be people who still have a high level of faith when God doesn't answer every prayer? And, and, and what really should our faith be based in anyway? I, I really want to try and answer some of those questions this morning as we keep diving in, going verse by verse uh, through the book of Luke in the Bible. Uh, if you want to follow along uh, with our stories today, we're going to be on uh, page 838 of the Bibles underneath the chair. Uh, of course, you can always use uh, the Renovation Church app, Church app as well. You just tap Bible uh, and weekly verses. You know, we spent actually five weeks uh, just going through Luke chapter 6. There was a lot in there, in my defense, uh, <laughs> uh, going through Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. And now as we move into chapter 7, uh, the story moves back into narrative. So we have real, true stories of people encountering Jesus, and we get to kind of watch that interaction. There's a lot we can glean and learn from that interaction. So we're on page 838. We're going to start with the first story uh, right at verse 1 of uh, chapter 7. Here's what it says. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Okay, well, this first story uh, centers around the faith of a Roman a centurion. Now, at this time in history, about 2,000 years ago, the Romans were both occupying and controlling the Jewish lands. Uh, a centurion uh, was an important leader in the, the Roman army who oversaw 100 men in the army. And he had a servant who he valued significantly, who was sick. He was about to die. So the centurion sends the Jewish leaders, the elders of the Jewish faith, to Jesus to ask for healing. So I said that the elders come to Jesus <clears throat> and they begin making their case on why Jesus should heal this servant. Except their reasoning is all wrong. Now, what did they say? They come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, listen, you got to heal this guy. He deserves it. Why? Because he's such a cool guy. He's incredible. He's so virtuous. He loves our people. Right? He's even helped build our synagogue. Jesus, 
because of what he's done, he deserves for you to answer his prayer. Do you ever pray like that? Right? Maybe, uh, maybe not overtly. Right? Maybe you don't say, God, uh, it, please help me pay the bills because, well, just look at me. I'm incredible. <laughs> Of course you're not. Like you, you, I mean, you probably don't overtly pray like that. If you do, uh, I can re- recommend for you to see someone, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> where you can actually see this type of thinking is when God does not answer our prayers. You know what we're likely to say to him? Lots of times we'll say, God, why didn't you answer that prayer? I've been pleading with you for a year, for two years, for whatever. I've been so... And here's what we say to him. We say... And, and God, I've been so faithful to you. I come to church, I pray, I give, I try and be a, a good person, so why wouldn't you do this for me? Okay, but, but what's the underlying subtext when we're saying that back to God? The subtext is what we're saying is, God, I've done these good things for you, so you, what? You, you owe me what we're saying here's the thing god doesn't owe us anything on our own right this is a teaching of scripture we can do nothing good we aren't owed a thing ironically it's the roman centurion who understands what prayer is truly found in not the jewish leaders the centurion, even though he's an important man, he's done a lot of good for our society, he still says this. Look at the end of Luke 7, 6 again. He says, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve. The Jewish leader says, said, he deserves. He says, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But yet he still asks Jesus to boldly move. Right? He recognizes Jesus has authority over sickness. Somehow he knows this about Jesus. He says, just as I tell my men, go, and they go, in the same way, Jesus, you have the authority to tell that sickness to go. He says, in fact, I don't even need you to show up at my house. You have so much authority, you could just say the word from right there. Do you, do you have faith like that? That God, if he wanted to, could just do this for you? Whenever, wherever. Okay, so let's contrast these people, right? You have the Jewish leaders and the centurion. What is it exactly that the Jewish leaders have wrong and the centurion has right? The leaders say, this guy is so worthy because of what he's done. He deserves for you to answer his prayer. What is that? We've been talking about this the last few weeks because Jesus hits on this a lot in the Gospels. That's religion, not Christianity. Right? Religion, like any other religion in the world, is trying to earn, to curry God's favor. What's kind of interesting is the centurion could have said something else, right? He could have said something like, oh, Jesus, I haven't earned the right to even ask you. I haven't earned the right for you to answer my prayer because, well, I'm not a Jew. I'm not perfect. I don't deserve for you to answer my prayer. Now, that may sound like the opposite sort of thinking to what the Jewish leaders were saying when they said, oh, he deserves, but it's actually in the same religious paradigm. Um, let me just put this on the screen. Let me explain it to you this way. Okay. Whether you say, I've earned it, and a lot of us, we think this way. I've done this. Why aren't you answering my prayer? I've earned it, so answer my prayer. Or, like many who don't understand 
the God of the Bible, you say, my life is a mess. I haven't earned it, so I get why you wouldn't answer my prayer. Both of those things you could actually file under religion, which is not Christianity. Religion is trying to earn God's favor. They're both saying the same thing. They're both saying, if you're a good person, God is more likely to answer your prayer. And if you're a bad person, God is less likely to answer your prayer. That's religion. That's not Christianity. See, both of those boxes have turned God into some sort of cosmic being that can somehow be manipulated to answer your prayer or not answer your prayer based upon your deeds. I'll just tell you right now, that is an awful version of God. And yet almost all of us fall into that thinking once in a while. Right, when you really mess up and you're crying out to God, do you ever say, I think I fall into this sometimes. You, I, I'm, I'm talking to God and, and, I, and I stop myself and I very wrongly, I say, why would you even answer me right now? Right, I just... Uh, I haven't been living for you as well lately. I just feel like I'm messing up. I don't, I'm just going to stop praying. Why would you? That's religion. It's not the gospel. Right? That's the box on the bottom. Or think of the box on the top. Like, if you've been praying for something and God hasn't answered it yet, how have you been explaining that to yourself? And if you're telling him that he should have answered you based upon how you've been living, that's religion too. How good you are actually has nothing to do with it. Okay, think of it this way. Let's take Jesus' life as an example. Jesus, we know when he was on earth, lived a perfect life. He never sinned. And yet, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked God. He said, God, is there another way? He's praying is there another way besides going to the cross? Because if there is, I'll take that. And God doesn't answer his prayer request. Now, thankfully, Jesus says, but your will be done. Right? So what do we learn from this? We learn from this that when God doesn't answer your prayer, don't think that it's because you're not good enough. Jesus was perfect and still didn't get his prayer answered. How good you are has nothing to do with it. So let me show you true Christianity, how a true Christian prays. Let's, let's throw up the other slide. Christianity is this. It's God. I haven't earned it. But please, would you answer my prayer? Right? And then the Christian, we always throw on the asterisk, because this is how Jesus prayed. We just talked about this. But your will be done. right? Because we, don't, we, we, don't, we admit that we don't ultimately know what's best. He knows what's best, right? This is the gospel. This is the good news of Christianity, that you don't deserve a thing, and yet God loves you and wants to answer you and help you anyway. You know, every once in a while, I'll ask my uh, twins, uh, who are five, I'll say to them, why does daddy love you? This is a hard question, honestly, for a kid to answer, especially a young kid. If you have young kids, try, try this out at home. And most of the time, they, they kind of think for a second, and I'll say, hmm, um, because I'm a good listener? And I say, since when? 
But look at this, because this is what I'm talking about. Our hearts, this is sort of the natural state of humanity without Christ. Our hearts always want to bring us back to, you love me and you are good to me because I'm a good listener or I'm good and that's why you're being good to me. And I just look at them and I say, no, 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 no. That's not it. I love you because you're my daughter, because you're my son. That's how God looks at you. Christian, you, you don't have to earn his love and favor. It's, it's already there. Right? If it's in his will, he wants to answer your prayer request right? because he loves you, whether you've earned it or not. That's, that is good news. Right? So we need to pray like this box on the right side, like the centurion who just can come to God and say, I, I don't even deserve to have you come under my roof, but answer my prayer. Right? He can do that because he knows who God is, and it's not about who he is. And this is what really matters. Let me explain this, because I think we've gotten this really backwards in our culture over the last decade or decade and a half or so. In, all, in our culture, in America, nowadays, people don't care so much about what or whom you believe in, but more so just that you believe in something, anything, and believe in it passionately. To our culture in 2018, your passionate belief is actually more important and more valued than what you actually believe in. But this is not really how faith truly works. The great thinker, uh, Timothy Keller, uh, says it this way. He says, listen, Let's just, everybody calm down about just passionately believing in whatever you want, and let's think about this. He says, should we applaud Hitler just because he simply passionately believed in something? Uh, Keller then gives this illustration. He says, okay, imagine that two mountain climbers are out climbing, and something happens, they trip, and they kind of fall down, and now they're just on sort of a cliffside on like a, a very narrow ledge. And for whatever reason, they can't go back up. There's no footings or whatever, and they certainly can't go down. And so they really have two ways they can go. They can move to your left, you know, kind of skirt along the ledge, right? Or they can move to your right along the ledge, and that's it. And the first guy says to his friend, he says, listen, I know exactly which way will hold us up. He says, I have no doubts, zero I, am, I cannot even tell you how passionate I am about this. I know that it's this way. I'm so passionate about this, and I am right. It is this way. The second guy looks at his friend, and he says, you know, I kind of think it's the other way. He says, I'm not 100%. I guess I have faith that it's this other way. In fact, I'm kind of scared about even walking this way. But if I had to guess, I have faith it is this way. And the first guy says, you're wrong. I'm just so passionate about this. And he starts walking this way and falls to his death. <laughs> so that was too, I should, I should have cared. For, and it was a really sad moment, all right? Okay. The, the, the other guy who was worried, he wasn't sure, he had some faith, he starts walking this way, and he's just fine. And the rock holds. It wasn't unstable rock. 
Okay, so who was saved? Was it the man who passionately believed with all of his heart? No, it's the man who believes in the right rock that is saved. And so what does this mean for your prayers? It means this. I encourage you to even write this down. It's not the strength of your faith that saves you, but the object, what you're believing on, that saves you. Does that make sense? Right? It's not the strength of your faith that saves you, but the object of your faith that saves you. I heard somebody say once, when they are talking about this particular story in the Bible, they said, okay, how much faith did the centurion need to have for Jesus to heal his servant? They said, just enough to call on Jesus. Again, this is more good news for you from the Bible. So if you're praying to God right now that he would give you power over a certain perpetual sin in your life, it doesn't matter that your faith for it to actually happen is weak. But you're coming in, you're like, God, I need you to do this. I want you to do this, but I don't know if you can do this. I think you can. I want. You've, even if your faith is at 10%, his power is at 100%. Just call on Jesus. If you're praying for God to save one of your family members that doesn't know him, they don't have a life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter that their heart is almost black. It's cold to Jesus. He need, I mean, this is what we see in the scripture. He need only to say the word, and he can give them a new heart. If that's in his will, just call on Jesus. He's the one with the strength. I want you to ask the following question to yourself throughout this next week. Ask yourself this question. When you're praying, whose strength am I praying upon? Am I making my prayers dependent on the strength of my own faith? Oh, if I just believed harder, if I just... Are you making your prayers based upon the strength of your own deeds? Are you saying, oh God, I know you're not answering me because I did this, this, and this. Or are you doing what the Bible says? Are you praying upon his strength? Because that's how we should pray. All right, so I want you to come to God this week and I want you to say, Lord... Uh, you, I mean, this is how I have to pray. You, look at me. I, I say the wrong things to people. I, I, I continually mess up. You know I'm a mess, right? I, I'm not going to manipulate you to do anything, but I believe that you have the power to do this. And God, if it's in your will, would you please, I beg of you, I know you can do this. I'm praying upon his strength, not the strength of my own life, because that's not all that impressive, right? That's how we pray. And you see his strength played out even in the next little story. Let's take a a little bit just to look at the other short story. So this is from uh, verses 11 to 17 now. So soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her... His heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up, and he touched the bier that they were carrying him on. And the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. 
They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Okay, so think about what's happening in this story in relation to the story we just did with the centurion. Let me ask you this question. Okay, the, the young man that was dead, was the dead man coming back to life, was that dependent on how good of a person he was being when Jesus came by? No. He was dead, right? Was it, was it dependent on how strong his faith was when Jesus came by? No. He was dead, right? Was it dependent on the strength of his mother's faith for him? No, as far as we know, she didn't even ask Jesus to do it. He just had compassion. Here was a woman who was a widow, and in those days, if you were a widow without a husband or a son, it was hard to get by. He had compassion and gave this young man back to her mother. All right, so what do we do with this? What do we do with this in connection to the other story? We stop putting so much stock in God moving in our lives based upon the strength of our own faith and our own life. And we start praying based upon his strength because he is powerful. But if you're going to pray like that, that means that we've got to stop trying to manipulate God with our own life. And while we wait for him to answer, we remember that Jesus always comes at the right time. Okay, so what if Jesus had been in a different town that night doing ministry? Well, then the man would have stayed dead. What if Jesus would have came an hour earlier? Well, then he probably would have missed the funeral procession. What if Jesus would have came an hour later to the town? Well, the man would probably still be buried right in the ground. Do not despair. I, I just plead with you, don't lose faith in what Jesus can do. He always comes at just the right time. Even if it looks like he's not coming. Think about this mother. Do you think that she had given up that God could save her son? Yeah. And still, did God not yet come at just the right time? He did. His timing is perfect. Trust him. Increase your faith in him. And listen to me. I will tell you this. His timing is perfect even when he doesn't answer our prayers just as we ask. This is why we believe this as Christians. Romans 8.28. It says, we know that in all things, not some things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. But you think about Jesus on earth. He went around, he healed all sorts of people, but he didn't heal everyone, right? Sometimes his timing can feel too late or can feel like he didn't do anything at all. But his timing is always right. Always. You know, I just got home uh, late last night, uh, early this morning, really, at uh, one in the morning. Uh, my wife's a brother, Jordan, my brother-in-law, uh, and his wife, Emma, uh, recently had a baby. Uh, but the baby was only uh, 21 weeks along. And so uh, their baby, uh, my niece, uh, was born uh, but only lived for a few hours, and uh, she died. 
And so this weekend, uh, we've, Lindsay and I and a bunch of our family, we flew to, to Houston on Friday, attended a, a heart-wrenching funeral uh, yesterday, and then I, I flew back by myself uh, late last night um, to be with you this morning. And I will tell you, when Emma went into the hospital, we prayed. Right? When the baby was born, we prayed. And yet it didn't seem like God answered. But even so, I keep my faith in him and what he can do. See, because for the Christian, our story is the story of that young man in Luke 7, that even in death, there is a resurrection. You know, when this happened, I, I debated a lot as a parent on whether I tell my twins who are five uh, what happened. Right, like, I don't, know if I'm do- I don't know if I'm doing this right. Right, who kn- <laughs> right? as a parent, like, who, who knows? But since we had to go down there, right, I'm a big proponent of not lying to your kids ever. And so I sat them down, and I told them what happened. And I, I watched really the whole narrative of the story play out in front of their eyes in a two-minute span. And when I told them that their aunt had a baby, their eyes just lit up. And Liviana, my daughter, she interrupted me. She said, yay! She said, I want to hold her. And then I had to say to my kids, but the baby died. And uh, my son, Jeremiah, who's better in touch with his emotions than the rest of us in our family, he, he gasped. He said, oh, oh no. And I looked at him and I said, it's, but it's okay. It's okay. Because as Christians, we believe based on what we read in the Bible, this is 2 Samuel 12, based on what we read in the Bible, we believe that when babies die, that they go straight to heaven. And he looked back at me, he said, they do? I said, yeah, they do, we believe that. And he starts going, yay, yay! And I'm not lying to you, he started running circles around our living room, just going, yay, yay, yay! And I just thought, Okay, that, that, that is the faith that we need as believers, that our God can do anything. And even when he doesn't do what we ask, that he's still doing something beautiful and right. God is good all the time. And that's what, as believers, gives us incredible hope and joy. And I just, I long, I long for the people around us in this city. This is why we want to reach our city, who don't know that. Like, how do you go through something like this without Christ? But God is good. God is able, and his timing is right. And the good news for you is it's okay if your faith is not perfect. It's okay if you're not perfect. You just keep praying upon his strength, not your own. Let me pray. Lord, we want to be a church that trusts you no matter what happens. God, we want to be a church 
of people that believe that you can do miracles, that you can do the impossible, even if you don't do it, God, that we still want to believe. Give us faith, God, and we pray that as we put our faith in you and not in ourselves, not in our own lives, that you would show us your glory and show us your majesty. We just thank you, God, that it's not dependent on us, but dependent on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.